0: Father, today, as we come to one of the foundational truths about your great attributes, the attribute of your power, Lord, the fact that you have the power to do all things that there's nothing too hard for you, Lord, and uh, that all things are possible with you, and Father, you use that power to do wonderful things in the lives of your children, and that 's what we 're going to be looking at today, lord at this just how gracious you are uh, to all the people who you know that know you who love you and you love them lord there's just so much uh you want to do for us it's just beyond our imagination and we're going to see that in abraham and sarah's life lord but but what you do for them you you'll do similar things for us you'll use that power in a way uh that you will be glorified in our lives and i know that's what you want to do and i know that's what you want to teach us today so lord i ask by the power of your holy spirit that you you, uh, you, you teach us from your word today. I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. There's a great story over in the book of Second Kings chapter 13. Elisha, the great prophet, is on his deathbed, and he's about to die. And, and Joash, the king of Judah, comes to visit him. And Elijah, I mean, Elijah was a working man, and he was a working prophet, all the way to the moment he died. Actually, after he died, uh, he raised somebody from the dead with his bones. That's how powerful this prophet was. But anyway, he's, uh, Joash comes to visit him, and, and uh, Elisha has a word of prophecy for Joash. He tells Joash, I want you to take an arrow, and I want you to shoot it through the window. And he shoots the arrow through the window, and, and uh, the, Elisha tells Joash that that's a picture of the deliverance that I'm going to give you over your enemy, Syria. And then he tells, he, Elijah tells Joash, what I want you to do is to tap your quiver of arrows on the ground and to, and, and to, to really, I think, in praise of God, to demonstrate the power of God, and, and he taps his quiver on the ground three times. And, and once he does that, Elijah is angry with him because he says, he says to him that, that you don't understand how gracious the Lord is The Lord wanted to give you not three victories over Syria. He wanted to give you a total victory over Syria. So you should have just kept right on tapping. In other words, uh, what Elijah was saying to Joash was that you don't understand the heart of God. You don't understand the power of God. He wants to do greater things for you than you can possibly imagine. Because nothing is too hard for the Lord if we truly believe the Lord. Now that's the lesson that God wants to teach all of us today. That's the lesson that we're going to see him uh, teach Abraham and Sarah, that there's nothing too hard for him. Better, Better yet than that, as we're going to see in our study today, what we're going to learn is that there's nothing too wonderful for the Lord. He wants to do wonderful things for his children. When we left off last time, God had renewed his covenant with Abraham and told Abraham that, Abraham, you're going to have a son, and you're going to call him Isaac. Uh, And he actually gave him a date. He says, you're going to have this son one year from now. Well, that meant in the next few months that Sarah, the impossible, was going to happen. Sarah was going to get pregnant. Now, I believe at that point, after this encounter with God, Abraham firmly believed in the promises of the Lord. And I believe he, even his man believed in the promises of the Lord because they all agreed to get circumcised, very painful act. But, as I, we're going to see today in chapter 18, I don't think Sarah was fully convinced. And uh, so that's what we're going to look at as we come to to chapter 18, uh, beginning in verse number 1. All right, verse number 1, it says, Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees at Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in, in the heat of the day. So he lift, Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he bowed himself to the ground. All right, now here's Abram. He's, he's still in Mamre, which is in Hebron. Uh, 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 he's still living there when the Lord makes his appearance. And so more than likely, Abraham had like a front porch, and he's sitting there. And I think no doubt he's pondering that last visit that he had had from the Lord and all those great promises that the Lord had given him. But Sarah is still not pregnant. And so uh, all of a sudden, Uh, the Lord appears. Now, the word appear here implies a sudden appearance. So the Lord didn't come to him riding up on a horse from a long journey or from a long walk. He just suddenly appeared, Uh, just like the Lord appeared to the disciples in the upper room. He just, all of a sudden, he wasn't there, and then he's there. And he doesn't appear in all of his glory this time. He appears as a man. The last time Abraham saw him, he saw him in all of his glory. This time he sees him as a man, just like when he saw him as Melchizedek over in chapter 14, or as the Logos, the Word of God, over in chapter 15. He appears to him as a man, and he has two men with him. Now, because of this sudden appearance, out of nowhere, really right straight down from heaven, we know more than likely that these two men are what? They're angels, and we're going to see later on that they're definitely angels. Now, when Abraham sees the Lord, I love this. He recognizes him, and he runs from his tent door to meet him. And he bows himself down before the Lord. And as I said last week, Abraham was far from a perfect man. But one thing we know about Abraham is this. He loved the Lord, and and he worshiped the Lord. And so he sees the Lord, even though he doesn't see him in his glory. He bows down before the Lord. You know, Abraham reminds me a lot of Peter. I mean, you follow Peter's life and then you follow Abraham's life, and they had some similar failures and they had some similar victories. But they, but the one thing you know about Peter all the way through, and the one thing you know about Abraham all the way through, is that they really loved the Lord, and the Lord loved them. I'm reminded of over. Oh, I'm reminded of the story over in John chapter 21 after the resurrection. You remember. Uh, they didn't see Jesus for a, a week or so, and, and Peter got restless, and he said, I'm going fishing. So he went fishing, and all the disciples went fishing with him. And they fished all night, and they didn't catch anything. And the next morning, they were, they were coming towards the shore, and they uh, heard a man on the shore who says to them, he says, Children, have you any catch? And they yelled back, No. And he said, well, then cast the net on the right side of the boat. And they cast the net on the right side of the boat. And when they did, they caught a full uh, net full of fish. And uh, the, John turns to Peter and he says, it's the Lord. And what did Peter do? I mean, he was, he was out there fishing naked. I don't know, I guess he was trying to get a suntan or something. But he was out there fishing. He puts his clothes on. I don't know why he put his clothes on, but he puts his clothes on, and he jumps into the water, and he swims as far as he can swim until he's walking, and then he runs for the Lord. And he runs into the arms of the Lord, and what is the Lord doing? He's got a fire going. He says, bring me some of the fish, and they savor the moment. They sit there, and they have a meal with the Lord, one of the last meals they had physically with him before they saw him again in glory. But uh, it's very similar here. To the experience that Abraham's going to have, he sees the Lord, he runs to the Lord, he loves the Lord, and just like Peter said up on the Mount of Transfiguration, "Let us build three tabernacles." I think Abraham felt the same way. I, will you guys? Why don't you guys stay a while? Look at verse number three. He says, "And he said, My Lord, if I now have found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. In other words, don't 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 leave. Stay here a while. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree." And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh, refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. They said, Do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly, make ready three measures of meal. Knead it and make it into cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, and gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took the butter and the milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree and watched this, and they ate. They ate. The Lord ate, Abraham ate, and the angels ate. In the Middle Eastern cu- culture, it's normal to provide your guest with a good meal when they come to visit with you. That's the normal thing to do. But this wasn't just a good meal. This was the very best meal that Abraham could possibly uh, prepare for his three guests, And I, it's re- really interesting to, interesting to me that they ate this meal. They come, these three heavenly beings are eating earthly food. Now that tells me, uh, and we saw this when Jesus was resurrected, how he ate after he was in his resurrected body. That tells me that we're going to, enjoy eating even in heaven. And so, I, you know, I, I believe we're going to enjoy many of the earthly pleasures that we enjoy now, even when we're in heaven, even when heaven is earth. Uh, we're going to still enjoy those things because those are gifts from the Lord. Uh, now, look at verse number uh, 9. Listen to what he says. In verse number 9, Then they said to him, now this is the kicker here. This tells you why they're here. Then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? Where's Sarah? Now, this is the Lord speaking. It says they said, but this is the Lord more than likely who's speaking here. Did he know where Sarah was? He knew exactly where Sarah was. So this is an anthropomorphism, you know, given here just so we can understand the Lord in human terms. But he asked that question, where is Sarah, your wife? And so he said, here in the tent. Now, so... This tells us that the Lord is here for at this point of his journey. His purpose is to deal with Sarah. We know that. He's asking about Sarah. And, he, and the Lord said, uh, loud enough for Sarah to hear, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening in the tent door which was behind him. So the Lord wants her to listen. And he has a message for her. And the message for her is the same message that he gave Abraham in that last visit he made to Abraham. And the message is this, that you're going to have a son. Now, after Abraham had that last encounter with the Lord, no doubt he came back and he told Sarah, Sarah, I, I saw God in his glory and God has told me, that we're going to have a son, that you're going to bear a child in your old age. And she, she had been told that before. She had heard that before. And this time, I don't think she believes it. And it takes two to tango. So we got to get Sarah in on the program, and that's why the Lord is here to convince her so she'll be willing to have sexual relationships with Abraham so that, that uh, they can have their son Isaac. So, so the Lord renews the covenant, knowing that she's listening, and he says, "I will come to you supernaturally. I'm going to come to you supernaturally, in uh, and return to your wife, to the time of life. In other words, to the season of life, the, to the season where you're, where Sarah's womb will co- become alive, and you guys will have a relationship, and you will bear a bear life. You will bear a child." All right, now look at verse number 11. And you shall, verse number 11. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old. We've been told that before, haven't we? They were well advanced in age. They're 100 years. Abraham's 100 at this point, Sarah's 90 at this point. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Now, why do we keep, why are we told this over and over again? So we know that what's happening here is a supernatural miracle of God. That God can do anything he wants to do when he gets ready to do it, if it's in his will. So it's, that's there for us. Therefore, Sarah, what does Sarah do? She did this, you know, like, husband-like wife, they say. Uh, I don't know if that's true at all. Like, uh, But anyway, therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I've grown old, Shall I have pleasure? Shall I have sexual pleasure? And by the way, look at Abraham. He's pretty old, too. He's no spring chicken. So so she's pretty blunt. She gives a pretty blunt description of their their situation here that uh, uh, Abraham was was, was pretty old and she was pretty old and and, uh, she didn't see how this was going to happen. And so what did she do? She laughed. She laughed in her heart. She laughed within herself. I can just hear her. I mean, sure, we're going to have a kid. I mean, that's really funny. There's no way we're going to have a kid at this age. Uh, but look, the Lord's listening. Look at verse 13. Uh, and the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Now, that right away tells you you're dealing with the Lord. Abraham didn't even know Sarah had laughed. I don't even think the angels knew Sarah had laughed. But the Lord knew Sarah had laughed because the Lord sees everything we do. He hears everything we do. He even hears our thoughts. Every single thought you have, the Lord hears that thought. Now, that that seems impossible, but that's no more impossible than a a 90-year-old woman having a child. But he hears our thoughts. Now, that's kind of scary to me. I don't know about you. But sometimes my thoughts aren't too good, but I have to check my thoughts. That's why the Bible tells us to bring every thought captive into, to, into, the, into Jesus Christ because God knows our thoughts. We can't just let our thoughts wander and, and, and without being in danger of sinning and blaspheming God because what's in our mind and in our hearts reveals what we would do in a certain situation that's why jesus said if you look at a woman with lust then you've committed adultery he sees that he hears that and so he knows that she's laughing and and uh again the lord said to her why did abraham laugh uh saying surely i I, shall i shall i surely bear a child since i am old and and Again, that's a miracle in and of itself. Then in verse number 14, here's the kicker right here. Here's the, the theme of this passage. Uh, look at what he says, the Lord says. "Is I mean, the Lord says this about himself. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Let me ask you that question. And, and you can answer yes or no all at once. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. Absolutely not. Listen to what the Lord says. At the appointed time, I'm going to return to you according to the time or the season of life. In other words, her womb is going to come alive and you and Sarah are going to produce life. The season of life. And uh, Sarah shall have a son. I want to go back to the first part of verse number 14 here for a minute. Henry Morris calls this rhetorical question, in the first part of the verse 14, uh, he calls it, he calls it uh, the, a mountain one of the mountaintop sentences in the Bible. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I agree with him totally. Let me tell you what, that's a principle that every single one of us not only need to understand in our minds... We need to understand that in our hearts. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? And what's the answer to that? It's no. That's why Jesus said over in Matthew 19, 26, he said, all things, all things are possible uh, with the Lord. With God, all things are possible. But we have to come to the point uh, in our Christian life where we believe in our hearts, what we know in our heads, and that is that God can do anything. He has the power to do anything that He He's he, that He's pleased to do. And when you believe that in your hearts, don't just believe it in your head. When that truly sinks down into your hearts, then that's going to change the way you pray. It's going to change the way you live the Christian life. And God's going to be able to do wonderful things uh, in your life and in your ministry if we really believe that all things are possible with the Lord. I don't think, I, I know everybody will say they believe that. But I see people, they get in situations and they say, man, I got to go see a counselor, or I got to go do this, or I got to go do that, or I got to go do this, because really God can't handle my situation. My situation is way too difficult. Well, well, if we're... If we're Operating like that, we really don't believe that all things are possible for God. Now, actually, that rhetorical question there, if you look back at, at uh, verse number 14 and look at that question again, literally, uh, it's, it's the meaning is e- e- even deeper than that. Really, literally, what that question is is, is there anything to... Wonderful for the Lord. That word wonderful, the word hard translated here in chapter 14, in the first part of 14, is the same word that we find over in Isaiah 9-6 where we get this description of Jesus Christ where he's called Wonderful Counselor, uh, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. That word hard is the same word that's translated wonderful there. Now, you wouldn't call Jesus the hard counselor, uh, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. He's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. So, So the question here isn't, is anything too hard for the Lord? The question is, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Now, that doesn't seem like a... Big difference, but it really is a its a very big difference in the meaning there, between hard and wonderful. Let me give you an example. Uh, in the next chapter, uh, the Lord is going to rain down fire and brimstone upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, from a human standpoint, that's a hard thing to do. But from a human standpoint, that's not a wonderful thing to do. And what God's trying to tell us here is the principle here is this, that God wants to do wonderful things for us, impossible things for us, things beyond our uh, wildest imagination if we'll just believe and if we'll just ask according to his will. Anything we ask according to his will, Jesus said that the Father will give us if we ask it in his name. James says we have not because we ask not, or we ask you know, we, we limit our prayers to the to, to the to the little things in life, like Lord, help me get this new uh, car, or help me get this, help me, uh, help me this cold go away. We don't when when really big problems come, is the question needs to be asked: Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? And what's the answer to that question? The answer is no, there's nothing too hard for the Lord. The Lord was about to do something here for uh, Abraham and Sarah uh, that they had been begging for their whole life. They had been begging for a child. They wanted a child more than anything else in the world. Again, we've talked about this before, but imagine if your name is Abram, father, and you have no children. Imagine the ridicule that he took just because of his name being Abram. And, and, And I think... When he got that name and he grew up and realized what that name meant, he said to himself, you know, that's what I want in life more than anything else. I want to be a father. And here he is, 100 years old, and he's not a father yet. But is anything too hard for the Lord? What's the answer to that? No. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? No. And so the Lord's about to do something more wonderful than he can possibly imagine. He's going to have a son, and his son's going to be named isaac and he's going to do even more wonderful things through that son and through his descendants we'll see here in a few minutes but look at first at at, let's go to verse number 15 and let's see sarah's response what's sarah's response i mean she laughs within her heart if you laugh within your heart you know you laugh within your heart right and then the lord says why did sarah laugh in her heart to abraham and i guess she's hiding behind the tent door there and she and uh uh, she's listened to the whole conversation, and she denies it. She says, I did not laugh. Why did she say that? that hey, that's the gut reaction we always do when we get our hands uh, caught in the cookie jar. I mean, sometimes I'll borrow Brenda's keys and and uh, to, to go move a car or something, and I'll stick them in my pocket, and later on in the afternoon, she'll ask me, uh, do you have my keys? I'll say no. I immediately say no in case... She, they've been lost sometimes in between there. I don't want to take responsibility for it. So my gut reaction is no. I deny it. I deny that I have her keys. Then I look and feel around, and if I got them, then I'm okay. You know, I say, yeah, I do have them, by the way. But but that's her reaction. She 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 just immediately denies and says, I I did not laugh, and she was afraid. Now why was she afraid? Well, I think she realizes at this point. I mean. This God is something else here. I mean, he even heard me laugh within my heart, at which really, if she had thought this through logically, she would have said, it's not going to do me any good to lie, because he's going to know I'm lying. But she's afraid, and so she lies, and she says, "Uh, I I didn't laugh, and the Lord answered and said, No, but you did laugh. So uh, here she is, and she's afraid. And I think she realizes that she finally realizes at this point that she's dealing with El Shaddai, almighty God. He has to be almighty God. If he can know my very thoughts, if he can hear me laugh within my heart, uh, then he has to be almighty God. And I think maybe this is the turning point for Sarah. And and, uh, uh, she says to herself, maybe he does have the power to do something really wonderful for me. Maybe he can... Give me a child in my old age. And so maybe, hey, uh, I ought to give this getting pregnant thing uh, some thought. Give it a try. And, uh, you know, it's, it's no coincidence that right shortly after this, Isaac was conceived, and nine months later, uh, he was uh, born. Now, I don't know if this was the turning point or if when she saw the smoke coming from Sodom, and realized that the power of God, that he could bring down these cities with fire and brimstone, and she saw that, and she said, man, I better get serious about obeying God, and, and said, Abraham, come, in, come into the bedroom. I don't know if it was that point or when. But, 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 but uh, she, this is the turning point in her life. And now I think she really believes. And uh, now the Lord's going to leave. He's got other business to deal, deal with, so go to verse number 16. Verse number 16, it says, Then the man arose from there and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on the way. Now, we're not going to deal with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah this week. We'll get to that story uh, next week. Uh, but here's what I want you to see as we look at these last few verses uh, in today's text. I want you to look at the things that God is, the, the hard things, the impossible things, the wonderful things that the Lord is about to do in Abraham's future. So, so let's look at those beginning in verse number uh, 17. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since, since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Now, this is the part I want you to see. For I have known him. I, I want to stop there for a minute. For I have known him. Later on, we're going to see that Abraham was God's friend. It's the way God saw Abraham. He saw him as his friend. He says, I have known him as my confidant and my friend. And I'm about to do something terrible, not terrible in my eyes, terrible in, that will be terrible in his eyes. And I know that Lot's over there in Sodom and Gomorrah, and we're about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's my friend. And I think I ought to tell him about this. Now, I've got to tell you, what a great tribute this is that God pays to Abraham. I have known him. I've known him. You know, you contrast that to what Jesus says will take place at the judgment over in Matthew chapter 7. He says, many will come to me in that day and they will say that I went to church and I read my Bible and I prayed and I called myself a Christian and I prophesied in your name and I did miracles in your name. And Jesus will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. You know the most important task of your life is to know the Lord and know that you know the Lord and if you know the Lord then the Lord knows you now we're talking about know in the that Hebrew word yada means to know in a relationship God knows everybody all. The people in this world, all the men and women in this world are creations of God. I heard somebody say, Nancy Pelosi say the other day, that we're all God's children. No, we're not all God's children. And you might be, Nancy. I won't go there. You, she might be, but we're not all God's children. To be God's child, you have to know the Lord. You have to be born again to know the Lord. You have to be saved to know the Lord. Your sin issue has to be taken care of in order to know the Lord. So you you, you got to get saved. You must be born again if you really want to know. Only by the Spirit, we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, only by the Spirit do we know the things of the Lord. You have to be born again. And I say this all the time. I mean, that's the litmus test for salvation. The litmus test for salvation isn't whether or not you believe Jesus died on the cross. The demons believe Jesus died on the cross. The, the litmus test for salvation isn't that you've believed and trusted in it, but, but that's where you get there. But the litmus test is, do you really know the Lord? Do you really know Him? Now, He's passed fully knowing for sure, eternally infinitely past fully knowing but if we're in a relationship with the Lord we know we're in a relationship with the Lord we know the Lord and I got to tell you when you know the Lord you know he knows you you see him in your life all the time I a guy wrote a book several years back called when God winks I think was the title God doesn't just weak I mean, God doesn't once in 10 years appear and you, and you realize that you're in a relationship with the Lord. You see the Lord in your life every day. I see the Lord in my life. I hear the Lord in my life. Every time I hear a good sermon, I'm listening to the Lord and, I, and it might be doggone if he doesn't speak to me through that sermon and, and doesn't rebuke me through that sermon and convict me through that sermon. I know it's the Lord. I, I know I know the Lord. And I know the Lord isn't always pleased with me. I know, look, the things of the Lord are not always wonderful to us. They're wonderful to him. They're all going to work out for our good. But they don't always seem wonderful to us. I mean, we're going to see the Lord judge Sodom and Gomorrah in, this, in these coming chapters. We're going to see his grace and mercy as he, as he, as he pulls a lot out of there. But, but, but uh, the Lord, the things that the Lord does in our life, Sometimes are hard, but they're still wonderful. Because if you know the Lord. And and that's the, again, that's the question you want to answer. Do I really know the Lord? Abraham knew the Lord. And he was in such a close relationship with the Lord that the Lord was going to confide in him about his future plans. Let me tell you what, if you know the Lord, the Lord's going to, you're going to be the Lord's confident. You're going to be in a relationship with the Lord where the Lord's going to reveal mysteries to you. You're going to be be able to look at the word of God and you're going to be able to hear the word of God in a way nobody else can hear the word of God if you're in a real relationship with the Lord. If you know him and he knows you, that is the number one priority in life. You parents, that is the number one priority for your children that they know the Lord. This world and the devil wants them to get to know everything else but the Lord. That's why the Lord is trashed in this world. That's why the Lord has been removed from the classroom and from the government and from every area of of society because the devil doesn't want us to know the Lord. When you you know the Lord, then... then, uh, there's no, no one else you want to know better than the Lord. So Abraham knew the Lord. And look, look at what it says. it says. It says, for I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him. In other words, I've known him in a way. I, 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 I'm the one who created this relationship. Just like God created the relationship you have with him. Your faith is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You were given that faith that brought you into a relationship with God. But there's a purpose in in that gift. God has given you your faith so that your children will know the Lord, so that your children Your acquaintances will know the Lord so that your relatives will know the Lord. There's a responsibility that comes with that. The Lord says, I have known him in order that he may command his children and his descendants and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has, the wonderful things that he has spoken to him. The Lord wants to bring that about. And the Lord is going to do that. What wonderful, impossibly hard things was the Lord going to do for Abraham? Well, you, you see them right here and look at verse number 18. First of all, he's going to make his name great. We have heard that before. We saw that all the way back in chapter number 12. In verse number 18, he's going to make a great nation from Abraham. In verse number 18, we also see that through, in his seed, he's going to bless all the nations of the earth. And so you talk about some blessings here. In verse, in verse 19, uh, he's going to be used to lead his children. Now, Abraham has a lot of children because he has his physical descendants, but he also has his spiritual descendants. You and I, to some degree, are a child of Abraham. We're a child of Paul. We're ultimately a child of God. But 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 it's Abraham's faith that we, uh, I don't want to say we imitate, it's his faith that we have. It's the faith of Abraham that God has given us. And and so he's going to use Abraham to lead all of us into the way of the Lord. Now, what's the way of the Lord? One word, what is that way? It is faith. Faith, that's the way of the Lord. And so Abraham's going to show us the way of faith. That's why we're studying Abraham, because it's through Abraham we see the way of faith. And the way of faith is the way of righteousness, the perfect righteousness of God. And then he also, you know, the icing on the cake, the most important gift that Abraham was ever given was his relationship with God. Remember the Lord told him earlier, I am your exceedingly great reward. You know, until we come to that point, we don't really understand what it means to be in a relationship with the Lord. Until we come to a point where we really understand the greatest part of our Christian faith, is our relationship with the Lord. To know the Lord and to be known by the Lord. Now you talk about some great promises. Abraham was given some great promises. Uh, So the Lord had fantastic plans for his friend Abraham. Simply because he knew the Lord. As we finish up here today, I want to ask you, do you know him? Do you really know him? Do you? If you do, then the Lord has some unbelievably wonderful things that he wants to do for you in your Christian life. Things more wonderful than any of us can possibly imagine. Let me just list a few of them for you. The moment we receive Jesus Christ into our hearts, We are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. And you know what we receive? We receive the abundant, eternal life of God. That's pretty fantastic. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty good gift right there. Uh, Jesus said in in John chapter 14 that he's gone to prepare a place for us. You know what? I got to believe that's a pretty fantastic place i got to believe it's more beautiful and wonderful than we can possibly imagine. I like this one over in 1 John chapter 3. He says that when we see Jesus, we will be like Jesus. Now, I'm not too much like Jesus right now. There's a part of me, a new nature that is. But I still have my flesh. But man, when I see Jesus, every ounce of George Llewellyn is going to be just like Jesus. Perfectly righteous, with a perfect heart, with perfect soul, with perfect thoughts, a perfect mind, and a perfect body. Even though I almost have that now. I'm joking. He promises over and over again in the Word, if you know Him and you're known by Him, to give us the desires of our heart. To fulfill all our dreams and all our visions if we'll just believe. If we'll really believe the Lord. Does that mean that we get everything we want? No, I don't think we get everything we want. We get everything we want that God wants us to have. Everything that's good for us. If we'll ask, we'll get all of that. Does that mean that every vision we have is going to come true? No, it doesn't mean that every vision we have is going to come true because sometimes we create our own visions. Sometimes we decide we're going to have our own dream. When when, when God gives you a vision or he gives you a dream, you you know it's God. There's no question, did I dream this up or did God give this to me? God is going to bring your dream to fruition if 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 it's a vision of God. And, and sometimes God takes our own visions and uses those to to form us and to shape us. So that's not even a bad thing in and of itself if you're if you're if you know God and you're known by Him. But when God says I'm going to do this in your life, just like He told Abraham and Sarah, you're going to this time next year you're going to have a child and you're going to name him Isaac. Even though you're a hundred years old and Sarah's ninety years old, you're going to have a child. When God said it, it was a done deal. He didn't say if if if, Abra- if you're good and and Sarah's good, or you do this, or you do that, then you're going to have this child. He said, you're going to have this child. And if God gives you a vision or a dream, and he says, this is what's going to happen in your life, you better believe it's going to happen in your life. It's not dependent upon you. It's dependent upon God. And I think one of the most important thing, wonderful thing that God does for all of us, is he promises us, That if we'll let him, he'll use us to bless others. To show our children the way. To show our grandchildren the way. To show our friends the way. To show our acquaintances the way. And what is the way? The way is not the way of religion. The way is not the the, uh, way of good works. Well, good works is the fruit of the way. The way is the way of faith. The way of faith is the way of righteousness. The kind of righteousness that makes us right for heaven. That's the way. Now, he can only do those great and wonderful things for us if he knows us. And we know him in a relationship. You know when you really believe that God wants to do something really special in your life, I I don't think many of us believe that. We just kind of go, we get caught up in a rut and we just kind of die there. Going around the mountain over and over again when God wants to take us into the promised land. But when we really believe that, when we really believe that, we begin to pray with the confidence of a saint The confidence of a spiritual giant, a man like Paul. Remember how he prayed? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do, watch this, exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, that's already there in us. That's the way Paul prayed. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, he says, And my and my God shall supply all your needs. Very frugally. Is that what he says? He says according to to his riches in glory by Jesus Christ. All my needs. I mean, do you really pray uh, uh, believing that God wants to do for you exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think? Do you really believe that he has the power to supply all your needs according to the riches in glory by Jesus Christ? You know... Too many of us are like Joash. We're pounding that quiver one time, maybe two, maybe three. When God wants us to keep on knocking, keep on asking, keep on pounding. Why? Because of that question. Is there anything too wonderful for the Lord? What's the answer? No. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the fact that, that Lord, that you have given us the great grace, the great privilege, the great gift of being able to enter into a real and living relationship with you. Father, I... The things that you want to do for us are probably greater than anything that we can imagine. If we'll just present ourselves as being available to do all that we do according to your will. Father, I just ask today that that those people that are in this room, all of us that are struggling in a rut somewhere, Lord, I ask you to show us, The place where you want us to be. And to put a dream and a vision into our heart. A dream and vision as impossible as Abraham and Sarah's. A dream and vision that gives us hope, gives us meaning. Gives our life meaning and Lord just gives you an opportunity to be glorified in our lives. Because that's what you want to do Lord. You you were glorified in Abraham and Sarah's life and you want to be glorified in ours. Father I just thank you for all the possibilities that are available because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.